This is Rebel History. The year is 1923. The place, the majestic blue waters of the Puget Sound. The night sky roiled with black, stormy clouds. Turbulent waves of midnight blue rose and fell around them. The autumn air was crisp and cold as their vessel cut swiftly through the water. The ship's powerful Liberty aircraft engine, its exhaust modified to sit below the waterline, could be felt more than heard in the whipping wind. With rough and practiced hands, the men tied together the large gunny sacks piled on the deck. The fine Canadian whiskey inside sloshed about, mimicking the movements of the sea. Cases of liquor were stacked in the pilot house, where a short, bronze-skinned man navigated the dangerous waters with keen ability. Prosper Grainick's father was a French sailor who'd abandoned ship in the San Juan Islands to marry his sweetheart, a Native American woman. These waters were in Prosper's blood, the island people recognizing in him and his brothers an uncanny sense for tides and currents. His route weaved in and out around and through, as they passed sheer island cliffs and secluded inlets lined with towering evergreen trees, running as quiet as possible, their lights extinguished, they moved as a dark, stealth, sea beast through the night. Light, blinding and sudden, illuminated their ship as they rounded point no point, their final leg into Seattle. They were caught in the crosshairs, the powerful spotlight bearing down on them. Prosper recognized immediately the 85-foot Coast Guard cutter, Arcata. Her swooping white frame tall, black smokestacks. A predator lying in wait for its prey. If Prosper had any challenger for the West Coast top sailor, it was the Arcata's captain. Lorenz Lonsdale. At just five feet tall, granddad, as he was called by both sides, had been a pioneer in Coast Guard rescue, braving the stormy Puget Sound seas in pitch darkness to save the lives of unlucky seamen. Prosper's hand was instantly on the throttle, pinning it at full speed. The night erupted with thundering explosions from the Arcata's semi-automatic 
anti-aircraft gun. It fired one-pound metal shells in rapid succession. Thump, 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 thump. The projectiles exploding a few seconds later. The Arcata's gunner honed in on Prosper's ship, the Three Deuces, as it sailed at breakneck pace. The powerful Boeing engine roaring defiantly. Projectiles tore through the pilot house. Crates of whiskey exploding just behind Prosper. He held firm to the throttle. He had held the Puget Sound speed record in the Three Deuces, albeit without the 250 sacks of liquor currently on board. His crew hit the deck, laying flat on their bellies, as machine gun fire whizzed through the air above them. And just like that, the danger was over. The aging Arcata was a far slower vessel and was forced to abandon its pursuit. Safely through the gauntlet, Prosper found he was shaking uncontrollably. The pilot house smelled of fragrant Canadian whiskey, a small fortune of the amber liquid puddling up around his boots. Undeterred, he set his ship back on course and relit his pipe. They approached the small, remote dock just south of Seattle. The secluded beach was lined by steep bluffs. The stately homes above sat quiet with their lights extinguished this early in the morning. Making a pass by the dock, Prosper flashed his light, a signal to the crew waiting ashore. He circled the boat around and made straight for the dock. Prosper and his two deckhands worked with great efficiency, tying up to the dock where the shore crew eagerly awaited their delivery. Three automobiles and two trucks stood ready to carry the load on the next leg of its journey. The side of the trucks painted with fresh fish and quality produce. Putting aside their exhaustion for later, the sailors moved rapidly, not wanting to stay a second longer than necessary. Within minutes, the boat was unloaded and sailing quickly into the night. Prosper wound his way back north, passing the Seattle waterfront, the lamps of the city glowing in the pre-dawn darkness. A few towering buildings rising from the budding, sprawling Queen City. Reaching Ballard, they entered the Great Locks run by the Army Corps of Engineers, created to allow passage inland from the sea. Tied off in the vast concrete chamber, it filled with water as their floating boat raised up to the freshwater height of the adjoining lakes upstream. The massive gates of the locks opened, and they wound their way inland through Lake Washington and past the University of Washington. Its students still fast asleep, the campus was quiet as they sailed by, 
a wounded ghost ship staggering home. They passed quickly through the narrow Montlake Cut into Lake Washington and their final destination, the waterfront neighborhood of Madison Park. The large wooden boathouse was still dark as they glided gently in and tied off. The owner, a good friend of Prosper's, was accustomed to the three deuces and its unique repair jobs. So the crew took stock of the damage inflicted by the Arcata and left the boat behind for repairs. After 36 hours at sea and the near catastrophe, the men were utterly exhausted. Before he could finally lay down for a deep, well-deserved sleep, Prosper had to phone his boss, Roy Olmstead. Have you heard? I was coming around point no point when Grandad threw his lights on me. There were no other boats around, so I had to run for it. He took some shots at me. One went through the pilot house and busted the hell out of three cases of good whiskey. Olmstead. Well, you see what comes from being late. You should have come three hours earlier. Was anyone hurt? Prosper. No but I damn near shook myself to death. Granddad's getting pretty good with that damned old gun. Hope you can do something about it soon. Olmstead. We'll see. Go home and get some sleep. You've got to take another boat up tonight. Two weeks later, with the midday sun reflecting brightly off the waters of the Harrow Strait, birds squawking above, Prosper pulled cheerily alongside the Arcata. Where are you headed, Prosper? One of the Coast Guardsmen asked. I thought I'd take a vacation, do a little fishing, replied Prosper. Oh yeah? What are you going to use for gear? Prosper searched his empty boat and finally held up an old piece of netting. How do you expect to catch anything with that? The Coast Guardsman laughed. Don't even need it, Prosper replied. They're so thick where I go, you can scoop them out with your hands. How about you guys? We might do some fishing too. For what? Maybe you. Prosper sounded a little resigned. You shouldn't do that. Tell Grandad not to be so hard on us. We're just honest guys, trying to make a decent living. Fourteen thousand years before, these deadly games of cat and mouse played out on the waters of the Puget Sound. An enormous ice shelf, six thousand feet thick, sat atop the Pacific Northwest region. The glacier shifted and moved, eventually melting away as the world thawed. The meltwater carved mountains, seas, valleys, and hills. As Mother Nature went about her work, it's as if she had a soft spot for fine, barrel-aged Canadian whiskey. 
carving out a paradise for those future rum runners that would sneak quickly, quietly through the maze of the San Juan Islands and the Puget Sound. Composed of no less than 786 islands and reefs, it's better to think of the San Juan archipelago not as islands, but instead as a vast underwater mountain range. The mountainous, craggy tops poking out at sharp angles from the salty sea, crowned with dark evergreen trees anywhere soil has managed to cling on. Bald eagles soar on marine winds, scouring the sea for plentiful salmon. Orca whales surfacing playfully from the depths, their white and black slicked skin glistening in the sun. The complex systems of channels and harbors composing Puget Sound are supplied with ocean water by the Strait of Juan de Fuca, the gateway to the vast Pacific. As northern tides flow in and out of the Gulf of Georgia, encompassing the waters between the Canadian mainland coast and Vancouver Island, water from the Puget Sound is sucked northward through the San Juan Islands, creating treacherous, powerful rips and currents. When Prohibition came to Washington State, first by state law, and then federally through the 18th Amendment in 1920, there were fortunes to be made braving the dangerous waters and dodging the Coast Guard ships patrolling them. Many took a stab at this new illicit trade, purchasing wholesale whiskey and beer in Canada then running it through the islands down to Seattle, ultimately supplying the city's speakeasies and wealthy private clients. However, one man would come to dominate the liquor trade in Seattle. His operation, importing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of alcohol by today's value. That man was Roy Olmsted, the kingpin Pacific Northwest rum running. Formerly the youngest ever lieutenant in the Seattle police force, his operation would come to be the region's largest employer with a small army of smugglers, accountants, salesmen, and paid off police officers. His men would joke that he commanded more officers as a bootlegger than he ever did as a lieutenant. Celebrated by the people, Rum Runners were the Robin Hoods of their day. Prohibition was immensely unpopular with the public, especially in the cities, and the rum running renegades enjoyed a degree of celebrity status. Stakes were life and death in the waters of the Puget Sound, a frustrated Coast Guard opting to shoot first and ask questions later. On land, federal prohibition agents were dogged in their pursuit, flouting privacy rights and inflicting rampant violence in their quest for justice. During Prohibition, America's Great Experiment, 
brazen, audacious men would risk it all to make their fortune by satisfying the thirsty American public. Next episode on Rebel History. A little history on the Pacific Northwest, the Great Seattle Fire, and the city's early relationship with alcohol. Rebel History is written, narrated, and produced by Andrew Feith. Rebel History, shining light on the shadows of history and the rebels who dwell there.